0: I wonder, have you ever thought about how you will respond when you're face to face with God? On the day when He meets us, when He returns in glorious splendour, or we meet Him in the clouds of heaven, what are you going to say when you encounter Him? When I was growing up there was an ad on television, uh, that I'm going to play for you in a moment. It's a little bit corny. Those of us that are younger are going to cringe at it. The rest of us won't be able to get the tune out of our head once I play it again. But have a listen to it. Oh. Am I doing the wrong thing? So sorry. Oh, sorry. Is that, that one. one? There we go. go. Well, face to face with God, when you get to heaven, what do you think he'll say? G'day. Is that what you think will happen when you get to heaven? I can see some heads shaking against that. And is it the right thing to say when you encounter God? Because what that ad said, as catchy as it is, is certainly not what Isaiah said when he encountered God. So in Isaiah chapter 6, earlier than the passage that JD just read to us, Isaiah saw God. He saw God in the temple. Well, not so much that he saw God in the temple because God is so glorious that he's so big. This great temple, which the whole world was amazed at, God is so glorious that only the bottom of the hem of his robe fit into the temple. And there was smoke and there was the six cherubim, the six angels who were covering their faces going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole mountain on which the temple was there was shaking. And Isaiah saw God. And I don't know uh, what that would look like. I've I've tried to uh, Google pictures of it. And this is as good as I could come up with. The temple with all of its glory is almost invisible. Because God in his glory is there. And Isaiah sees this image of God. And when Isaiah encounters God in chapter 6, you know what he says? He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah was absolutely right to say that because Israel in their history had experienced God and the God whom they experienced was a God of absolute power. There was no human ruler that could stand against him. Though Israel is only a small nation, no army could defeat the people of God. The image that you get as you read Isaiah is the way that he just cups the whole of the Pacific Ocean in his hands. The nations, the USA, China, Russia, they are just like a speck of dust that you need a magnifying glass to see. And this all-powerful God, in the first 39 chapters of this book of Isaiah, has done and promises to do what is unnatural for him, something that he doesn't want to do. And that is, for the first time, he is going to inflict terrible judgment on Israel. Israel is a nation that he loves, the one for whom for a thousand years he has cared for, he has protected and he is blessed. But he is now going to turn on them in judgment and turn on them in judgment because over this thousand years, God has lavished on them blessing after blessing after blessing, protection after protection after protection And like a willful, disobedient child, this child spits in God's face. As God gives them good things, they turn on him and sneer. And God says, enough is enough. I am going to come in judgment of you, not just to pay you back, but come in judgment so that you will learn and you will return to me. And now after 39 chapters of hearing this judgment, what do you think God is going to say as he speaks again? Do you think God is going to say, g'day? Do you think God is going to speak in such a way that you say, woe is me? Well, that last paragraph of chapter 42 that was just read to us is what God actually said. This is, this is the response when you see what God is going to do. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praises from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages uh, that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Sela sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. Don't you find that astounding? Hearing that God is going to come in judgment The incredible response is sing. See, the response is not that silly unthought through g'day, nor is it even Isaiah's valid and well thought through woe is me, as judgment is pronounced. But now sing. See, when do you sing? You sing when you're happy, don't you? Now, when your football team has won, you sing the team song. I have noticed that when my football team loses, I never sing the team song. And so now, though judgement is coming, the time is going to, be, is going to come when people's hearts are just full of praise and they won't be able to do anything but sing. And they're not just going to sing. They're going to sing a new song, an even better song than they used to sing. That is incredible. Now, and it's not just... These people that are going to sing, it's going to be Kedar and Selah, just to give you a bit of a feel for where these places are. Kedar and Selah, you can see them in red there, Selah down to the bottom, and Kedar, the nation of Israel is that, uh, uh, um, that gold-coloured one. Selah down the bottom, Kedar over to the right-hand side there, roughly where they would have been. Um, and what you see there is Kedar and Selah, are well outside the bounds of Israel. In fact, they are in no man's land, the place where the God of Israel wasn't known, or if he was known, the people sneered at him. And now the day is going to come, says Isaiah, when even they are going to sing this new song of praise to God. And so let's have a look about what could change from saying, woe is me, I'm about to be destroyed, to singing a new song to God. Have you ever seen a nation, a country, a world, sing praises that is unstoppable? A praise that is everywhere, a praise that is unceasing, a praise that is from the depths of our hearts, and a praise that lives forever? I've got to say, there have been times of great praise, But often the praise has been hollow or short-lived or not shared. So, for example, uh, Facebook. You can get a thousand likes and then all of a sudden people can turn to you in hostility. That praise is short-lived. Or this one. This is Ukraine in 2014 where they toppled 104 statues to Lenin because the Soviet Union had fallen. Now Russia was off their back. And so they praised by pulling down those statues. And of course, we know what's happening now. Or this one. This is John F. Kennedy on the day when thousands of people were praising him as he was driving through uh, the streets of Texas and taken just a few minutes before he was shot dead. Some people full of praise, some people full of anger. And that's what praise is like, isn't it? Sometimes it is short-lived. Sometimes it is not universal. Sometimes it is always mixed. But that is not what this praise in Isaiah 42 is like. And so let's have a quick look then at Isaiah 42. We won't go very long in this. Um, The first part of Isaiah chapter 42 is like the lyrics to a song. Uh, they're the first of four songs. They're, uh, they're songs which are called the Servant Songs. If you're taking notes, they, they're where you can find the Servant Songs in the book of Isaiah. And here God, the one who spoke creation into existence. Hear God who controls and orders everything so that nothing happens except what he desires. here God who warned of judgment and brought about that judgment. here God speaks about the future. Now, we all have thoughts and hopes about the future. But when God speaks about the future, they are not vain hopes. What we have in God is actually what's going to happen. And so let's have a look then at verse one. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, as God speaks, that thing which is going to bring about this praise which is unending and the new song which is unextinguishable, it's all about a servant, a servant or a slave. Now, we treat servants and slaves as nobodies. We don't have servants and slaves anymore, but servants and slaves are almost invisible. They are just there to make our lives easier. I tried to think of an example, and I can't think of one that works for Guyra, but back in Sydney, we are so lazy that we get people to wash our cars for us. As I drive into the shopping centre, you give them the keys to your car, you go and do the shopping, then you pick it up all cleaned. And one of the things I notice as I give my car over at the shopping centre is I don't even know the name of the person who cleans my car because they just do me a service. The most important thing about the man who does my car wash is that the car is delivered to me clean and I don't care very much about them. That's what servants do. But this servant is... Like and unlike the car wash person. The the servant who is spoken of here is like the car wash servant because they give you something which is really valuable. But unlike the car wash servant because God has filled this person with splendour and glory. And so this servant is the one who brings forth justice. This is the beloved one of God. He will bring forth, verse 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Oh, I that there would be a country where justice is everywhere. You have you ever hope for that? I think we have a pretty good justice system in Australia. But as you know, if you don't have money, you don't get the justice that you deserve. And sometimes if you are famous... You actually get better than justice for yourself. So we have got a pretty good system, as good as anywhere in the world, but it's not perfect. Imagine if in this land we had justice everywhere. Imagine if there was justice in every land where there was no more tyrants, no more abusers of people. Wouldn't that be breathtaking? Imagine that sort of world... Imagine a world where there was not just a perfect legal system, but something where everything that was mixed up and distorted and broken was somehow set right creation being set right. That's what justice, the word justice means here in Isaiah 42. Imagine a world like that. Imagine where creation is set right. Imagine where there is no more global warming fears. Imagine a world where there is no more drowning in dams, a world where there is no more counts cancer, a world where there is no more frailties from car accidents and fatalities from it, a world where there is no more youth suicide, a world where there is no more broken families. That's the sort of world that the servant is going to bring in. Empowered by the Spirit of God. Don't you long for that? I do. And how can this happen? It's going to be an extraordinary way. Look at verses 2 to 4. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he won't break and a faintly burning wick he won't quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice and he won't grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I don't need to go through these images with you. They're fairly self-explanatory. But you get the idea that the servant will be gentle. Not by power, not by guns, not by military power, not by armies but he will bring about the justice. And what will it be like? As wonderful as the justice is, I think it's easy for us to shrug our shoulders. You sitting here in the church in Gaira can easily shrug your shoulders and ignore it and say, oh yeah, I know this. Or some of you will say, here we go again with this wishful thinking. But look at verse nine. Behold, the former things have come to pass And the new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell them to you. You see, God spoke these words and draws our attention to the things that are past and the things that are yet to come. You see, in the past, God spoke creation into existence. God cared for his world. God cared for his people. God looked after his people. They are the former things. And they are the things that led Israel to keep singing the praises of God. And as great as they were, there are new things that are going to happen. And God is saying even better, jaw-droppingly amazing things than what have happened before is what I'm going to do for you. This, as I said before, this little nation, no other nation could stand against. That was because God was on their side. This little nation God had protected, God had fed through drought and famine and all sorts of things. God had always done what he promised to do. So do you think there is ever a human nation that will stand against the purpose of God? Never has been, never will be. Do you think there'll be powers of the devil that is able to stand against God and what he intends to do? Never has been, never will be. Those things that God has done in the past, he has certainly accomplished. And he promises to do even better and new things in the future and he will bring it about. And so he will do it through the servant. So who is the servant? I reckon almost all of you here today know what I'm going to say. That servant is Jesus. He is gentle. He was unassuming and he brought about the purposes of God. Remember, Jesus, as you read the Gospels, there was the man who was the outcast of society because he had an incurable skin disease, that is leprosy. No one would touch him for fear that they might catch it. And what did Jesus do? He goes to the man with leprosy and he touches the man with leprosy and he is instantly cured. There is the little girl who is dead on her bed, and Jesus takes her by the hands and says, get up. And she wakes up from death, and she cuddles her parents. There is the woman with the unstoppable flow of blood who secretly, she thought, touched Jesus, and instantly she was healed. There was the blind man, the crippled man, the demon possessed, there was the howling storm. Everything set right. In Jesus, the gentle one, creation was untwisted and restored. And so, behold, in him, if we'd have lived in that first century and we'd have seen it, we would have said, This is the servant. He didn't cry aloud, he didn't lift up his voice. He was born in Bethlehem, he lived as a carpenter in Nazareth, he was crucified in Jerusalem for you and me that we might be able to call God Father, he set the world right. That would be enough for us to sing a new song. But there is even more. The servant is Jesus. Only through him can creation be restored. But as you read this chapter and the other chapters about the servant, servant, every now and then you start scratching your head because it seems it's not about somebody in the future but it's about Israel. And I want to say to you, yeah, that's right. The servant is Jesus, but also not, not Israel that has is turned its back on God, but a pure Israel is sometimes seen as a servant. And so how can you have the servant as both Jesus and as Israel? Are you still with me? I'm nearly finished. And so here's my best example that I can give you. Any of you see that on TV? Yeah, some, some of you do it. Uh, that's a scene uh, where they, tri- uh, Buddy Franklin the great AFL, I'm sorry this is an example of AFL, so many of you have already turned off, but uh, Buddy Franklin scored his thousandth goal. My daughter was there, she actually I think took this photo, um, they spent 15 minutes trying to cl- uh, clear the ground as Buddy scored his goal, just everybody, uh, my daughter said there were 40,000 people there, 25 the 25,000 on the field, they spent all this time trying to clear them off and there is Buddy. Now what happened is the Swans are in a good position uh, in the football because Buddy is such a good player. But as Buddy scored his thousandth goal and as the Swans keep winning because of Buddy's great strength, the whole team shares in the victory. And so it is with us and the servant. Jesus is the servant. But it's not just him that gets the praise and benefit. It's all those who are his as well. And so it's not surprising that the servant is both looks forward to Jesus 700 years into the future, but also the restored Israel who will share in that as well. And so, my friends, I don't even know you. You are the congregation here in in Gaira. And you are not just bystanders and onlookers to the work that the servant is doing. God will use us to see this promised future come about. I was speaking to JD. Sorry to say this, I didn't ask your permission. I was speaking to JD just before we started church today. If you don't know the story of God's great kindness to him through his people, talk to him and rejoice. That is one of those things. Christ has done the great work, but he still uses us as the fellow players on the game. To see that victory, I notice in the, uh, in the bulletin today we've got this little article which I read before Church Wrestling with True Life. Here is a man who is a wrestler a long way from God, and yet, in people through the church, this person came to be a Christian. I've got to say to you, you St. James Anglican Church Gyra, it is not just that there are 30 of you who meet here on Sunday. God, through his servant, has done his great work and he is allowing you to be part of reaching those people who were born in Gaira, reaching those people who have come to Gaira in the last 30 years, reaching the children, reaching those who are here on contract in Gaira. God, through his servant, is going to see lives transformed for all of eternity. No wonder there is a new song to be sung. So, Israel, before Isaiah sang this song of praise to God, used to sing songs of praise, but they got stopped in the judgment of God. But we now, following Jesus, must be the people who sing these songs of praise to God. Jesus has come, He has come as gentle. He didn't cry loud. He didn't lift up his voice. But he brought about everything that you could possibly want and hope for. And he will return again, my friends. Not quietly. But accompanied with an army of angels and everyone in existence and everything that is happening in our world will stop in its face, in its place, and will see Jesus as he's returned and everyone will glorify him. That is not fully here yet today, but the day will come when the servant will bring that about. The day will come where this is figurative, but where the lion will lay down with the lamb where the whole world will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas, where the eyes of the blind will be opened and the lame will leap like a deer. No longer will it be a dream of that death will be defeated because it will be real. No longer will there be a hope that injustice will be overcome because it will have occurred. No longer will there be a desire never again to say sorry for having failed yet again because we will be perfected. No longer will there be that yearning that everyone will see the magn- glory of God because everybody will be able to see it. That day is most certainly going to come. It has been achieved through what Jesus the servant has done. He has enfolded us in this great picture of his victory. Behold our God and let's sing this new song of praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve to be members of the team that is victorious. We don't deserve that Christ, the servant who gave his life for us, should share with us all of these blessings. But we do want to pause and say not g'day, nor woe is me, but sing a new song of praise to you. And we want to thank you too that because of his victory, we are on that winning team. And that you are at work. Thank you for, I'm sure, so many stories of the way you have used this church in Gaira and other little churches to transform people from being objects of wrath to being your children. And I want to ask that we here might be used by you and continue to be used by you to see that change work out in people's lives so that even more people might sing the new song of praise to you, our Saviour. Amen. Mm -hmm.